Good morning. Our reading today is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of the glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance with the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Friends, it's so good. Uh, We've been praying and planning for this series. So so thankful you are here to hear God's word, to be encouraged together. Now, I'll start with this question, uh, who are we? You know, we are men and women, sons and daughters, fathers and mothers, Students, teachers, lawyers, nurses, accountants, designers, gardeners, builders. We are builders, boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z. We're left wing, right wing, and middle wing. We are sporty, we are arty, we are nerdy. We are wealthy, we are poor, we may be middle class, educated, uneducated, single, married, divorced, widowed. Loved, ignored, lonely, rejected, hopeful, hopeless. We are a mixed crowd, aren't we? But more than that, we are also, the Bible says, sinners and rebels. We have sinned against God and others, and others have sinned against us. And so we carry the hurts of those sins and, we, and the damage that, that is caused to us and the damage that we cause to others. But let me tell you today, the Bible tells us that no matter what you have done or what has been done to you, in Christ we are forgiven. In Christ we are new creations. Grace has changed us. We are children of the living God. We are not the product of our past, but the product of Christ's work on the cross. We are not a product of the past. Sure, that's there, but we are ultimately the product of Christ's work on the cross, where he deals with our sins and our failures and our brokenness. 
And that is why I want to remind you today to, to find your primary identity, not in your achievements or your failures or your family background or your marriage or your popularity or your career or your wealth or your relationships even, but to find your primary identity as being in Christ. We are together in Christ. Now, I must confess, it is tempting for me to find my primary identity as the senior pastor of this church. When I stop being that, I won't know who I am, right? And my wife is not looking forward to that day. (laughs) Or my primary identity as a father, or as a husband, or as a Sydney FC fan. See, to find your primary identity in something else other than in Christ is a dangerous thing. It will let you down. In the book of Ephesians, we discover that in Christ, everything is changed for us. John Mackay was a former president of the Princeton Theological Seminary. And this is what he wrote when he read Ephesians as a boy of the age of 14 in 1903. So he read Ephesians, he said, I saw a new world. Everything was new. I had a new outlook, new experiences, new attitudes to other people. I loved God. Jesus Christ became the center of everything. I had been quickened. I was really alive, he says. And friends, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He doesn't write to individuals, but he writes to the church. And it's really important. That's why we have the Together series. It's not individualistic Christianity in the Bible. It is corporate. It is community. He writes to the church at Ephesus. It's like writing to the church at Nawi. All of you together is a word for us. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people, literally the Greek says saints, a year, to God's, in the former version you'd have the word saints, to God's holy people, saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. They are in Christ Jesus. Did you notice that? They are the church together in Christ Jesus. And Christ is mentioned 14 times in the first 14 verses of Ephesians. And in Christ and in Him appears 36 times throughout Ephesians. Take a moment to soak that in. We are in Christ. We're in relationship with Christ. And being in relationship with Christ, we are in relationship with one another. We are the family of God. We are the children of God. We're going to come to that. In Christ. And that's why he says in verse 3, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Where? In Christ. So what are the blessings? I want to run you through these blessings pretty quickly this morning. And then we're going to go to the Lord's Supper, which uh, celebrates the wonderful truth that we find in these verses. Number one, we are saints. We are saints. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. I love the fact that he calls them saints. Now, in the Bible, to be a saint means to be a set-apart one. Someone who's been called by God, and God says, I choose you, I set you apart from the non-Christian world. And it's a reference to all Christians, not some spiritual elite. So you have the freedom this morning to call yourself St. Angelo, or St. Joan, or St. Haley, or St. Matt. You may not feel like a saint this morning, Oh man, if you knew my life, if you knew my temptations, if you knew what I give into. God calls you a saint and he calls them faithful. They are actively trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and living for him. 
Do you see yourself as a saint or a sinner? What's your primary identity? Important. A saint or a sinner. Sure, we are sinners saved by grace, but do you see yourself now, having been saved, as a chosen one of God, a set-apart one, a saint or a sinner? Friends, I'm sure the people in the church at Ephesus sinned just as we do, but he calls them saints anyway, not sinners. You know, non-Christians are referred to as sinners more than 300 times in the Bible, while Christians are called saints, holy, righteous more than 200 times, and only a couple of times as sinners. I think God wants us to know that when we are in Christ, uh, we're at another, we have a special relationship with God, and God sees us forgiven, transformed, new as the holy ones. In Christ, being saints is our primary identity. But oh yes, we will still sin, won't we? 1 John 1 8 says, if we say what we ha- that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We need to confess our sin. Each day, saints sin. We shouldn't, but each day, saints sin, don't they? Don't we? We are not yet perfect. It's a daily battle. You and I sin against God and against each other. In fact, I suggest to you that a saint will often see their sin more clearly and grieve it more deeply. See it more clearly and grieve it more deeply. Because you see the beauty of Christ, the the amazing mercy through the cross that we will remember in a moment. And you see your fallenness. It's It's like a massive torch spotlight on your life which shows up all the areas of your life. You're not quite holy because you expose yourself to the glory of Jesus and all of his perfection. Then you see your failings. But as you see those failings, you remember that Christ has paid the price for all of those sins. Friends, I remember a young adult from a Bible study group I once ran. Someone's birthday happening out there. He judged this friend of mine, he was in a home group, and I uh, was back at Asheville Baptist, and uh, he came, and after a while, notice he had a, like a pharisaical spirit, you know, this judgmental spirit, you know, I'm not quite like, I'm better than them, and they weren't quite holy enough, and we catch up, and he would talk about people's problems, and, and after a while, uh, he left the Bible study. So he, he saw everyone else's sins, but he didn't see his own sin of pride. It was like the Pharisee. He couldn't see his own sins, he could only see other people's sins. And a few years later, I ran uh, into him at the Katoomba Christian Convention. And I said, mate, how are you going? It's been a long time. He said, yeah. I said, I said have you found a church yet? He said, no, mate, no, I'm still looking. Three or four years later for this perfect church. The sin of pride. Friends, no one is perfect. We're all saved by grace. Despite our sins, we are saints. And a Christian is the one who has saint as their constant identity and sinner as the occasional activity. And we hope very occasional. And a loving Savior has paid for their sin. Let me say, the enemy, Satan, will accuse you and condemn you when you sin. But remember, you're a saint, a set-apart one, a holy one by the cross of Christ. Repent and keep going. Don't just stop. Repent and keep going. Who are we? We are saints. Secondly, we are chosen. Paul now begins from verses 3 to 14. Um, In the Greek, it is one long sentence, right? 
Yeah, Paul's like that sometimes. Just right and right. It's one long sentence from verses 3 to 14. Uh, a complex sentence. But it's a sentence that brings us to our knees in thanksgiving and praise for the spiritual blessings in Christ. It helps us to get a, a life, our life, in biblical perspective. It challenges us to move from petty earthly concerns to marvel at the wonderful plan of God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God is worthy of adoration. God is worthy of praise. God is worthy of worship. God is worthy of glory. And he has given us every spiritual blessing. And then he says, what's he done? Verse 4, for he chose us in him. Remember, it's in Christ again. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Friends, in pre-creation eternity, God formed a purpose in his mind. He chose us in Christ. He determined to make us, who did not yet exist, his own children through the redeeming work of Christ, which had not yet taken place. Listen to this. Before the creation of the world, he determined this was going to take place, communion. Before the creation of the world, before we'd even sinned, he knew we would need a saviour. And we're in God's mind even before the creation of the world. And we were saved by his grace, by his favor. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Not my choice, his choice, his pleasure, his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Friends, it is such an encouragement to know that God knew me in eternity. God knows everything. He looks forward. He knows me in eternity. He sent Christ to deal with my sins. He brought me from Greece to Australia as a three-and-a-half-year-old boy. He placed me in Maryville. He sent a Christian teacher to preach the gospel to me. God's moved in my heart by His Spirit. The Father drew me to faith. I repented and trusted in Christ and found that my salvation is all God. It's all grace. It's all Him. And He deserves the praise and the honor before the creation of the world. It's the same for you. It's the same for me. What's your story? You have a story. Where you grew up, what you went through, the pains, the difficulties. Maybe you were discipled by your parents who came to faith. Maybe you weren't discipled by your parents and you just came to Christ later. Maybe through a youth group, maybe through university, maybe through the witness of a neighbor. But let me tell you, before the creation of the world... God chose you in Christ to enter his family. Now, some find the doctrine of election difficult. I understand that. Well, did I choose God? Did God choose me? Both, the Bible says. I want you to picture a moment, a, a door to heaven. As you're going on one side of the door facing the one who was about to enter heaven were written the words, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God calls us to repent and believe, yes, on the other side of the door facing those who are already in heaven were written the words chosen in Christ before the creation of the world. God's sovereignty, human responsibility. Both these things are taught in the scriptures. God chooses his people before the creation of the world. We are responsible to repent and put our faith in Christ. Now, Christians disagree on how to bring these two ideas together. But they're both there. But you see, when Paul writes this to the Ephesians, he doesn't want to start a theological debate. He writes these words 
to bring comfort and encouragement to the believers. That no matter what happens around them, they are safe, they are secure, because God doesn't only know them now, He knew them before the creation of the world. They are His. But our security can't be used to condone or encourage sin. Some people say, well, you're once saved, always saved. I think you are once saved, always saved, by the way. Genuinely once saved, always saved. But you see, it doesn't, just because you're saved by Christ, doesn't mean you can go and do whatever you like with your life. Some people think, well, I got my ticket to heaven, I repented, I can do whatever I like now. No, no, no. You see, when you come to Christ, God calls you to holiness. The doctrine of election is an incentive to holiness, not an excuse for sin. Paul writes, listen to this, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He calls us, he saves us, he puts his spirit within us, that we would become holy in his sight. And ultimately, the only evidence of election being chosen by God is a holy life, a changed life, a Christ-like behavior, a new orientation in life. So I say to people, if you need to repent today, repent don't excuse your sin. Don't run it. Just, just put a, a, wipe it under the carpet. No. You know Christ. You're a child of God. Don't hide your sins from your Father. Go to Him and you will find forgiveness and reconciliation. The whole first paragraph is centered on God's grace, God's love, God's will, God's purpose, and God's choice. Who are we? Friends, we are chosen and called to be holy. But thirdly, we are adopted. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. God's election of us, predestination of us, choice of us, is with a view to adoption, that we become his children, sons and daughters of the living God, with all the privileges and all the rights of adoption. And the adoption then leads to the praise of his name, verse 6. Who are we? Adopted sons and daughters of God. That's who we are. We sang that second song earlier, didn't we? That we talk about being loved by God, chosen, not forsaken, adopted into his family. I don't often go to musicals, but a few years ago, I went to see the musical Matilda with my family. Maybe some of you have seen that. We had a lovely night, but I feel terrible for little Matilda. Do you? You know, there she is, being rejected and mocked and insulted, unloved by her parents, uh, unloved by the principal, Agatha Trunchbull. Angry at her. <laughs> this little girl finally rescued and adopted by the teacher, Miss Honey, where Matilda finally found love and family. Now, ask your question, have your family rejected you? Your mother rejected you, maybe your father, or hurt you. Maybe they weren't there for you. Maybe you have a father issue, a mother issue. Maybe they left and play their part in your life. Maybe they cut you out of the family. Maybe they're brothers and sisters, mums and dads you don't see. Friends, no matter what has happened, there's one who knew you before the creation of the world who has made you a saint, has adopted you into his family. 
I said to Matt while I was preparing this, if only I could sing, I could sing these words to you now from Chris Tomlin, good, good father, but I won't. (laughs) You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. Friends, we are children of the living God. We're talking about intimacy, we're talking about relationship. Fourthly, we are redeemed and forgiven. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So redemption in the Bible means deliverance by payment of a price. And it was generally applied to the ransoming of slaves in the first century. And you pay a price and set the slave free. They are redeemed, they are rescued, they are saved. And we were enslaved to sin, Paul wants us to understand. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, shed his blood so that we might be set free from our slavery to sin. Redemption also equates with forgiveness. You're rescued, but here he says it brings forgiveness. So we're under the just judgment of God for our sins, but we are rescued from that. And the price paid was the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross. We are rescued, Christ pays the price. And he lavishes on us. I love that word. He lavishes on us. Not a little bit of grace, but he lavishes on us God's grace. To criminals, to adulterers, to drug addicts, to gamblers, to drunkards, to the immoral, to the selfish, to the arrogant, to the proud, God lavishes, he says, grace upon you as he writes to the Ephesians. You know, a few years ago, I was down at Riverwood and I was speaking to a woman who asked me about my faith. And I, I didn't know her very well and... Uh, She explained why I was a Christian and what I did, and I was able to explain the gospel to her about how I was a sinner, but God loved me deeply, and Christ died in my place, and I now have complete forgiveness. I'm now adopted. I'm now filled with the Holy Spirit. I now have this joy that I never had before and a certain destiny. And as I spoke, I watched her, and her eyes just got larger and larger. (laughs) It's like, I can't believe what this guy is saying. At the end of it, as I finished, she just said, wow, that's amazing. I said, yes, it is. It's amazing grace. It's absolutely amazing. And friends, if you've been a Christian for a while, you forget how amazing it is. Sometimes it's the outsider like this woman I just happened to meet on the street here who hears it for the first time and thinks, wow, what type of God do you have? What type of grace and mercy do you have? We're redeemed and forgiven. We have a glorious future. He begins with the blessing of predestination and election. He moves to the present blessings of adoption, redemption, forgiveness. And now Paul says, it's not all you get. There is more, right? There's more to come. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head even Christ. Where's the world going? COVID pandemic, typhoons, tsunamis, terrorists, family breakdown, people displacement around the world, terrorists. Where's the world going? Is it going anywhere? Let me tell you, you know what Paul says, it's going somewhere. It has, it has a purpose. It is going in a certain direction. God who created us and who knew us before the creation of the world is taking this world somewhere and 
he said, have a look at this picture. The world is going somewhere. One day, God's going to bring all things together under Christ. The Christians who are alive, the Christians who have gone before us. But more than that, he's going to bring all things. Tapanta, it says in the Greek, normally means the universe. He's going to bring cosmic renewal. He's going to bring regeneration of the universe. He's going to bring liberation of the groaning creation that he talked about in Romans 8. One day, all will be made right. One day, there's going to be transformation. Paul says, before the creation of the world, God knew you. He called you to be a saint. Calls you to holiness. He redeems you. He forgives you. And he gives you a glorious future, all things, one day under Christ. And just to make sure you've got some power to keep going for him, he seals you with the Holy Spirit. He doesn't leave you empty. He doesn't leave you without strength or power. He seals you with the Holy Spirit. And he wants to make, make it clear here that both Jewish believers and Gentile believers have the Holy Spirit and are part of God's community together. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Then 13 to 14, he talked to the Gentiles, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. You see, it's not just the Jews who are in Christ, you also Gentiles the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, the praise of his glory. Australians, Greeks, Chinese, Brazilians, Indonesians, doesn't matter who you are across the nations, we are one in Christ for the sake of his glory. Marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Friends, you would know the use of seals in the first century, even today. Sometimes you would seal your personal possessions in the first century. You'd have your personal seal and you'd seal it. It belongs to you. You know what God says? I've sealed you, brothers and sisters. Saints, I put my spirit in you. You belong to me. You're not going to be lost. You're safe. I love you. You're a child of mine. I've sealed you. What a wonderful word of affirmation. The guarantee or pledge that God will bring his people safely to their final inheritance. We are together in Christ. We are saints. We are chosen. We are adopted. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We have a glorious future. We are God's possession. We have a certain inheritance. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. My friend down at Riverwoods would say, absolutely, it's amazing grace. But don't stop there. Why does God do all of that? Why does God choose to bless us? It is so that God might be glorified. We get the blessing, God gets the glory. God gets the worship, God gets the exaltation. It's not about me, it's about Him. He wrote in, in uh, verses 12, to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 14, to the praise of His glory. Friends, when we get uh, who we are in Christ, understand all of that, we surrender completely to him and then we live for his glory. And as these signs say, together for his glory, not mine, not yours, but for his. May God help us to live together for his glory this week, this year, and into eternity. Friends, we're going to sing together as we prepare 
for the Lord's Supper, the beautiful song about Christ paying it all for us.